Alright, turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at a few important verses. I think it's actually verses 17 to 20. Just want to remind you real quick of what went before Jesus talked about the Beatitudes. Remember the blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he gave the qualities that kingdom citizens should manifest in their lives. But then he went on from these qualities to talk about not the blessedness of those who believe and manifest God's righteousness, but then the blessing that they will be to the world as they will be salt and light. They'll be preservatives in a world that's rotting and decaying. They'll be light in a dark place pointing the way back home to God through Jesus, through doing good works of mercy and kindness. Now we come to Jesus' words about the law, the Old Testament law and the prophets. So let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Get comfy. Stretch a little bit. Wiggle in. All right. So far, what Jesus has been describing in his sermon is radical, countercultural kingdom living. And he's been talking about how God's people, those who are members and citizens of the kingdom of heaven through faith in Jesus, how they can be blessed, how they can know that they have blessing from God you know us believers we use Christianese you write an email and you write blessings or we say things be blessed and Jesus uh, colors that blessing a little differently than we think sometimes sometimes we're thinking silver and gold but Jesus says things like blessed are you when men revile you (laughs) when they persecute when they say all manner of evil against you because my name rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven So next time you say to someone, be blessed, remember what you're saying. (laughs) I hope you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. I hope you are shining so bright the light of Jesus that people can't help but persecute you. You with me? Jesus is talking about this radical lifestyle. He's talking about, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
for they will be filled. You ever hear that old song? Maybe you haven't, but God is on the main line. Tell him what you want. We heard it this morning, didn't we, Greg? I remember that from my days in Chattanooga. Sometimes we ask God for things and we wonder why he doesn't answer yes, but I'll tell you what, here's the great thing. We could know for sure if we ask God for righteousness, we're going to be filled. If we say, God, help me to act justly, God says, I've been waiting for you to ask for that. I got this waiting just for you. It's got your name on it, Santa. God, help me to love mercy. On its, it's ready on its way. Father, really, I, I want to walk humbly with you, sick of my pride. God loves answering those prayers. We're going to be filled when we ask for his righteousness. On and on, we look at these beatitudes. We see who we are supposed to be. But then he goes on to say, not only are you going to be blessed for manifesting these kingdom values by faith in Jesus, but more importantly, in a sense, you're going to be a blessing to the world around you. You follow me? What good is salt if it ain't got no saltiness? Right? What good is a light that don't shine the, the way, that's stuck under a bushel? It's silly. So Jesus says, when we live like that, and when we do good works so that folks can see them and glorify the Father, it's then that we will be light in a dark place. You know, let me give you some encouragement. You guys were our first team to come and help serve with us in the summer of 2010. And I believe it was your team that helped move a young lady. You remember that when you helped move that young lady? Well, I saw her months after that in the, in the food store. And she said to me, Pastor. She goes, you know, I just want to thank you again. She said, I had nobody to help. I don't know what I would have done if you people weren't there to help me move. And she said, I, guess what she said, I thank God for you. She glorified our Father in heaven because she saw him in action through his people. That's what the text says. Let your light shine. Do good works that they may see. Your Father, not you. That's how we know God is active in the world. His people are pouring out their lives in the world. But now Jesus turns from the blessedness of kingdom living and the blessing of kingdom witness to the world to the blessedness of those who continue to teach and to practice the Old Testament law and prophets. Hmm? See, Jesus stormed on the scene. You've got to picture this. And he was such a contrast to the religious leaders that the people of his day were used to. Think about this. They cared more about legalistic rules and regulations than they did about people. On one occasion, they said something like this. They said, cursed are these people who don't know the law. Imagine that's your spiritual leader. That's how he looks at you. That's how he, he, he thinks of you. Cursed, because you don't know the law. In the same context, it says, Jesus saw the people, and he had compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And so they saw something in Jesus they had not seen 
before. See, people would be tempted to think, okay, well, Jesus, he's different than them. And so the problem with these people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, is that they take the Bible too seriously. They take the Old Testament scriptures, watch out for this word, literally. And so they assume that Jesus being so the personification of love and mercy and kindness, he got them that he would be against the law and the prophets. And he would come with some kind of new radical teaching. Now, I worked on this for a while, so I hope you like this. This is what I want you to see. The problem with the religious leaders of Jesus' day is that they were all about outward show instead of inward glow that lets it flow. How do you like that? That was just for you. Tough crowd, man. No, but seriously... That's what they were all about. They were all about outward show. They loved it when people said, man, can he pray? Amen? Man, he's so flowery. flowery. He's so rich. He's so eloquent. I guess we don't have to worry about that for me. That just when he prays, you know, it's like the one preacher, just by the way he says Mesopotamia, he makes you cry. You know, one of those kind of things. You know? The problem was it was all outward. It was all show. It was all glitter. It was all look at me. I remember real quick, I remember when I was in my car and I play Christian music. I just play music and I happen to sing about Jesus, but that's called Christian music. Okay, that's cool. Wherever you want to label me, you label me, I'll label you. No, I won't. won't do that. I won't pay fire for fire. But anyway, so I'm in the car and I'm with a buddy of mine who was in our band who sang Christian music and he isn't a Christian. But I like to do that. I like to include folks who don't know the Lord um, in my bands, in my relationships, because, hey, how can I shine if I'm always hanging out with other lights? Amen? And so this buddy, he knew that he, the one thing I could say he knew about me, because this was really weird, he was like one of these cool, cutting-edge type of guys, you know, rings in his nose, that kind of stuff, you know, listening to, like, Dream Theater, you know, it was really rough. But he loved hanging out with my wife and I. Come on, I was a little, you know what I'm saying? We're like old, fuddy-duddies, but he, he was drawn to us. And it wasn't us, it was Jesus. But he saw there was something different. He grew up in a, a legalistic background with the do's and don'ts only. And so we were in the car, and I guess he felt safe and good with me, and he said, yeah, uh, like that guy Dave, man, he takes the Bible literally. And he thought I was going to be like, ha-ha, that's true. Why is it And I said, well, depends on what you mean. I take the Bible literally when it's speaking literally. I take the Bible figuratively when it's speaking figuratively. When Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Thankful that we, I'm thankful we don't take that literal. You'll all be blind here this morning. Amen? But when he's speaking literally, then you are darn right. I'm going to take it literally. But here's why I bring that up. He thought, he misunderstood to think that if you're kind, if you're generous, if you're loving, loving therefore you must be liberal. You get it? And that's what the problem with the Pharisees, they said, oh, Jesus must be loose on sin, loosey-goosey. He doesn't hold the standard of righteousness. And that's what happens sometimes with new cities. One time, Randy Neighbors, who's the founding pastor of New City Fellowship in Chattanooga that has about 1,000 folks now, he started in the 70s from scratch in the inner city, worshiping at the Y. He says this one, one of a, one of his parishioners, his mother came to visit, 
And when she heard the sermon afterwards, she came up to him and said, I thought you guys would have been liberal. And he took it as a compliment. Because in other words, new cities, we care about justice. We care about the poor. We care about social issues. We don't leave it to people who don't believe God's word. We believe it's our cause, Christians, to do these things. Amen. And Jesus was the real deal. And when the real deal comes, the phonies hate it. Because then guess what? The jig is up. Oh, man, there goes our. We can't take widows for a ride and devour their houses anymore because this guy. Follow me? And so what we're going to see this morning very briefly is that Jesus shows us that genuine righteousness consists in heartfelt practicing and teaching God's commands. You hear that? True righteousness consists in heartfelt following of the word of God, as it were, the Old Testament and the New and teaching it to others faithfully. So let's look at the first thing. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And the second point I'll tell you ahead of time is we're called to uphold the law and the prophets. Just two points, and I want you to follow me. So let's look at the first one. Nice and simple, clear, to the point. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Look at verse 17 with me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. That's amen, by the way. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. When Jesus came to earth and started his ministry, a very interesting phenomena happened. Prostitutes clung to him. Tax collectors were having them at his ha- at their houses for dinner. Sinners flocked to him like bees to honey. Can I get an amen? What a contrast he was from the religious leaders they grew up with. Listen, who were judgmental, who were rigid, and I like coining C.S. Lewis's phrase because I let him say it, so it doesn't sound like oh bad pastor who were self-righteous prigs. Did you ever meet a self-righteous prig? Unfortunately, once in a blue moon, I catch myself being one. In contrast, Jesus was the kindest. He was the most humble, most, most empathetic, gentle and welcoming person that they had ever met. He truly loved sinners, and he was a friend for sinners. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And that's why, unfortunately, some people would, be, would misunderstand his intentions. They'd misunderstand his kindness and his grace and mercy as a slackening of God's righteous standards or even a repudiate, repudiation of the righteous standards of the Old Testament scriptures. And that was, as I mentioned earlier, that's what, God's enemies would accuse him of. So right here, in the beginning of his ministry, he makes it abundantly clear. He states it in no uncertain terms. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. I haven't come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. So here's what's interesting. Now I'm going to preach to you. Not only did he not come to destroy them, but he came to show you how deep they run, how far-reaching 
they really are. Because you see, some people take the letter of the law. Well, if I don't actually go out and cheat on my wife, then I'm never committing adultery. And you know what Jesus says? What does he say? If you look after a woman, at a woman, and lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Whoa. Far from destroying that law, he shows its real application. Murder? I never kill nobody. That was the biggest thing I said before I was saved. Hey, I'm not that bad. I never killed nobody. Wow, I was a real good guy. You know, you're not supposed to kill somebody. You know, what do you want, a cookie? You know, but I still, I never killed nobody. So what Jesus says, I tell you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. I struggle with that today. Forget about when I wasn't saved. I hate everybody. Amen? This law thing is a little bit deeper, a little bit more far-reaching, certainly than the Pharisees taught, but definitely more than we often think. Now, in the positive sense, thankfully, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. Praise his name. Amen. You with me? Because if he did not fulfill the law for you, then you would be up a creek without a paddle. Because the law said, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And Jesus said, I had it for breakfast. Amen? He always did what pleases the Father. The law also says, The soul that sins shall what? Die. And Jesus came to take that curse and that punishment for all who would trust in him. Come on now, praise him. And that's how he fulfilled the law and the prophets when it comes to our justification. But he also fulfilled the law and the prophets by personifying the holy requirements of the law. That's why it just says, walk as Jesus did. You want to know what it is to follow the law? How did Jesus live? Read the Gospels. You see the law in action. And Jesus says right here that I've not come to destroy these things because here's the issue, all right? Listen, here's the important thing for us to see. The God who hated adultery in the Old Testament, what do you think? He hates adultery in the New Testament. The God who hated murder, that what we do to one another, you think he doesn't hate it anymore because it's the New Covenant? Jesus died to save us from that nonsense. Amen? He didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. He puts it this way. Not one jot, not one tittle of the law will be destroyed until heaven and earth disappear. So Jesus didn't slacken or loosen up the standards. The standards are still there they still guide us it's a guide for the justified i'm gonna talk about that in a minute and that's the second and last point i told you be simple i told you be right to the point jesus fulfilled the law not destroyed it and second of all therefore it follows we are called to uphold the law and the prophets ourselves look at verse 19 and following all right anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
here's what is so very important. My last pastorate, there was a gentleman who denied that there's a third use of the law. The third use of the law is this. Let me explain this to you. Well, first of all, let me tell you the second use. The second use of the law, Jesus deals with in verse 20. When he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is to cause us to go, well, then who of us is going to go? Amen? If, if I can make it to heaven only by keeping this, <laughs> it's time to quit right now. Second use of the law shows us the depth of our sin and how impossible it is to be saved by our own efforts. That's what the law does. It thunders down and says, you can't make it. And that way we turn to Jesus. We receive him, his perfect life and his death on our behalf. And then we get his record, right? That's the second use. Third use of the law is a guide for the justified. In other words, now that we are saved, now that we are forgiven, we say, God, how do we live a righteous life that pleases you? When we call out and we cry out and we hunger for righteousness, what does that righteousness look like? Guess what? The law and the prophets. Which are summarized, by the way, in what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Very good. This is awesome. Heidelberg Catechism. This is a Dutch Reformed, although it was started in Germany. Dutch Reformers use this. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 114. Listen to this. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? Listen, here's the answer. No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so, that with a sincere resolution, they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Now let me translate that for you, if you didn't get that. Can anybody keep these commandments perfectly? The answer is no, because even the holiest amongst, the one that we go, oh, he's a godly man. Even he only has a small beginning, man. He's just scratching the surface. But, here's the encouraging part. Once we are saved and God gives us his Holy Spirit, guess what? We begin, we begin to live according to all the commandments. We begin to put sin to death in our lives. Listen to this. This is what the Old Testament says. Hang in there just a few more minutes with me. One of the greatest blessings promised in the Old Testament about the, when the new covenant would come was from Jeremiah 31, 33. And this is what God said. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see that? The law will be here, not just on stone. It's going to be in the hearts of the people. This, along with the free forgiveness of sins, is what the new covenant's all about. A new heart and a new life. And God's people are enabled to walk more and more according to his glorious law of freedom that James talks about. See, here's the issue. The Pharisees prided themselves in their adherence to the law of God, and they accused Jesus of abolishing the law. Well, Jesus turns the tables on them and rightly points out that they have it backwards. Far from keeping the law, they actually try to lower its standards to a, a humanly achievable level. And here's why I'm going to preach, and this is the last thing I'm going to camp out on. If you look down at verse 43, if you want to follow me, you don't have to. 
You can look it up later. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, I ask you, where in the Bible does it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? You know where? Nowhere. They added that. And let me tell you something interesting. I've seen in the church, I've been in the church a long time, at least it seems like a long time, over half of my life. I was saved in 86. And I have seen Christians get around that, that simple uh, command to love your neighbor this way. Well, we're only to love each other in the church. It says only love your brother. So I don't have to love anybody outside of the church. I've seen that in evangelical circles. So let's not pick on the Pharisees. You with me? Jesus here shows the depth of that commandment. And this, I want to camp on this for a reason, because we're about to serve this week, and we're going to serve everybody. We don't care where they come from, what religion, what race, what color. It doesn't matter. They are our neighbor. And so Jesus says, love those who are your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully treat you. And he says later on, what credit do you get if you greet one another? The pagans do that. Oh, here, let me give you a hand. You're really holy. Sorry, I'm preaching now. The point Jesus is making is the law runs a lot deeper. And I'll tell you what, especially if you're going to try to get to heaven that way, the law is going to go deeper than you could swim. It's going to drown you. Can I get an amen? And on the positive side, we are called by the king of the kingdom who invited us and brought us into his loving kingdom to go out to a hurting, dying, broken world and to love them the way we love ourselves. How do we love ourselves? I make sure I got nice clothes, which don't get me on that one. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings or nothing, but, you know, we don't ask for donations of clothes, you know what I'm saying? But we get clothes, I look at them, I'm like, seriously (laughs) you with me who's gonna wear this thing how is that loving others like i love myself i just got rid of it because i can't stand looking wearing that thing anymore just saying that's kind of like going up to the temple with a with with a lamb that's so here's my best you follow me You, you somebody's really in need you go to Kohl's, you use that 15% break, and you get them something nice. What does that love look like? I'm going to tell you what it looks like. When you're in a dominant culture, that means you put yourself in the shoes of the minority for a couple minutes, and you keep your mouth shut before you judge. You with me? Where you don't prejudge someone by the way they look. When you take a Christian brother supposedly in the same church as you, universal church, and you have the decency and the love and the humanity to hear where they're coming from before you judge them. We don't always have to agree. You don't always have to come to the same conclusion, but for goodness sakes, you can show the love of Jesus and try to walk a mile in their moccasins. And sometimes your mind will be changed. You might be like, hmm. Sometimes you might have to ask yourself, when have I been stopped by a police just because I'm walking through my neighborhood? 
It's a question you got to ask. Love your neighbor. That's, you want to talk about the heaviness and the deepness of the law. There's no greater law than love. All those little laws that God gives us is all about love. Don't steal. Why not? Because you're hurting somebody else. It don't belong to you. What are you taking their stuff for? They worked hard for that thing. Don't commit adultery. Why not? Because you made a covenant to the wife of your youth. Amen? It's love. It's all love. It's not the legalistic letter where the Pharisees feel like they're, oh, I did this, I crossed this off, I crossed that off. No. Excuse me. And the most awesome thing, I'm going to close with this, the most awesome thing as the people of God, when we take this righteous living the law and the prophets seriously in the name of Jesus. When we do what he says and we strive to practice righteousness and we beg God for this righteousness and we pour ourselves out in the community, guess what we're going to find out? We're going to find out how short we fall. I'm going to realize when I'm in the busyness of, of serving with the UMTs and you're in that, Santa, Pastor, Santa, Pastor, and I'm like, shut up! I find out, guess what? I need Jesus. I'm impatient. You with me? I'm, I haven't even begun to pour myself out in the community. I'm a selfish person. And the beauty of this is, where do you end up? The feet of Jesus where you need to be. And you need to be saying to him, you end up saying to him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what does he do? He cleans you up gives you a big hug, and then he sends you back out. Have at it, my son. Have at it, my daughter. Make me proud. I'm going to close with this quote from an old Puritan at the end of the Puritan age, pretty much. Robert Murray McChain. Good Italian guy. No, he's definitely Irish or Scottish or something. But he said this, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Isn't that awesome? I figure let's aim high. Amen? Because if you aim low, you might hit it. You with me? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word of truth. We thank you that you and the Father and Spirit, the three in one, you gave us these gracious words to show us, A, that we could never save ourselves, that we need you, Jesus. But B, also, you gave us these words to show us what is good, what is pleasing in your sight, what is wholesome, what is righteous, what is acceptable. The true righteousness we are to aim for from the heart, not just outward conformity. And God, this week I pray For the team that's here, for our people, for those worshiping here with us this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us to obey you by faith with joy, not just out of cold duty. That it would be a delight to take hits because we bear your name. Oh, Lord, we do pray that even as messy as we are and as messed up as we are, as we're tripping over each other to try to do the right thing, we pray that somehow we would still be a blessing that you would use us to touch lives as we too are touched by others lives we ask this that jesus might be brought glory that many many other idolaters would come back to the one true living god 
through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.